Let's turn to Mark 15. In the Word of God, our Bibles, page 1013. We'll read verses 16 through 32. I want to focus on the meaning of the cross, the crucifixion of Christ. In the Christian world, we see crosses everywhere, signs of honor and dignity, and the shame of it, degradation of it, can get so covered over that we don't even get the meaning of the cross anymore. So we want to focus on both the shame and the glory of the cross of Christ this morning. Mark 15, verses 16 through 32, page 1013 in your pew Bibles. And the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, led Jesus away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, And they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one of his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him, to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, He said, truly this man was the son of God. And then if you turn a little bit later into the New Testament, Galatians 3. Galatians 3. That's on page 1156. Galatians 3, 
page 1156, verse 13. We'll read 13 and 14. And that's our text this morning. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's in Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is God's word. May he bless us by it today. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, when the early Christian church summarized the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we confessed that he is Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. It rushes, as it were, from his conception and birth to his suffering under Pontius Pilate and his death. Where's the rest? Like all his amazing teachings and his wonderful miracles. Where's all that? Well, the church understands what the Bible teaches, that Jesus was born to die. And the miracles and the teachings were just a confirmation of his mission. He came to die. And that's why a full third of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are spent on that last week in his life where he's being arrested under trial and going to the cross. In the Bible, it's not only important, though, that Jesus died. He suffered and died, but how he died. How he died. He was crucified. He was hanged from a tree. Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. How he died gets emphasis. Why is that important? Why do we not want to miss that? The Heidelberg Catechism explains it this way. Question 39. Is it significant that Jesus was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes. Yes. Because by this death, I'm convinced that he shouldered the curse that lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. There you have it. On the cross, God demonstrated that his son was a curse so that we who are under the curse as sinners can be set free. And all who look to Jesus Christ for salvation. All who look to him who was crucified for sinners and raised for them. You may know the curse has been lifted, removed from you. And put on the son. And you're free to eat and drink with God. 
So that's the shame and the glory of the cross we want to look at this morning. First it's curse and then it's blessing. It's curse. Over 2,000 years of church history, the cross has become a holy symbol. A holy symbol. And we wear crosses as a symbol of dignity and honor, but it's a little like going around wearing an image of an electric chair around your neck or an image of a guillotine. People would look at you strange and saying, that's morbid, that's offensive, that's vile. Why would you wear that thing? That's ghastly. Well, that's what the cross is. And it certainly was that to the first century people. The Jews and the Gentiles, both. The cross in Jewish and Roman culture was not holy at all. It was godless. It was degrading. It was dehumanizing. Despicable. Dirty. Full of scorn and shame. Unclean. It was a swear word. It was offensive to talk about it. You don't talk about crucifixion. For Roman society, it was a punishment for scumbags. The lowest of the low. No Roman citizen, no freedman got that punishment. Only slaves. And in Jewish culture and religion, the cross was an emblem of complete unholiness and ungodliness and God-forsakenness. Cursed is the one who hangs from a tree. Hang from a tree. That's language that's repeatedly used in the New Testament for Jesus' crucifixion. It'll talk about the cross. It'll talk about crucifixion. But often the New Testament talks about Jesus hanging from a tree. Let me give you a few examples. Acts 5.30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. That's Deuteronomy 21 curse language. Acts 10.39, Peter says to Cornelius, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. And 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's a curse to be crucified. It's a curse to be punished that way. And that's found in Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. You could punish somebody with lashes, whips, or with exile, or you could kill them by stoning. But the worst form of punishment was hanging someone on a tree. And when the judge assigned you to hanging from a tree, He was pronouncing on God's behalf the highest degree of reproach that can attach to a man, to a human being, says one author. He's attaching the highest degree of reproach, disgrace, shame, that can attach to a man and placing him under the curse of God as much as any external punishment can. They that see him thus hanging between heaven and earth will conclude that he is abandoned by both heaven and earth and unworthy of either. What was the purpose of hanging someone from a tree? It was the same in both Roman and Jewish law. The purpose was to expose him to public shame. Look at 
this wicked person. Look at his crimes and spit. Spit. That's why Jesus was crucified at a main highway leading into Jerusalem. And the sign above him was written in three languages because of all the people passing by from different cultures and languages. The greatest pain someone has said or the greatest difficulty of suffering is not the pain but the humiliation involved. God and the whole nation are saying yuck. Get out of here. You don't belong to heaven. You don't belong to earth. You are sin. You say, well, that's awful. Think about sin. Your own sin. The sins of others. The horrible things people do to God and to people. And you realize that sin is worthy of spit, shame, and getting rid of that person. That's how despicable sin is. That's why it's so hateful to God. It's an assault on his infinite holiness and majesty. His eyes are too pure to look upon sin, the Bible says. It's hateful to him. And the only proper payment for it is eternal punishment of body and soul. The curse. Where God says, depart from me, you evildoer. You have no place here in my kingdom. Now also in Jewish law, that same spot in Deuteronomy 21, you couldn't allow the body to stay hanging on the tree overnight. Here's why. Listen, Deuteronomy 21. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defy your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So you're advertising all his crimes. His crimes are just sort of hanging out there, literally. His wickedness. And it's too much for the land to take more than 24 hours of that. So get him down Get him gone. Get him buried. The land can't handle that filth and perversion against God's holy name. Consider one more thing from Old Testament law. If you go ahead a few chapters to Deuteronomy 25, when a judge determined that a person had committed a crime and deserved to be beaten... The judge shall order the number of lashes that fits the crime. But he could order no more than 40 lashes in Jewish law. Listen, what the Bible says, 40 stripes may be given him, 40 lashes, lest if one should go on to beat him with more lashes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. You're dealing with a brother still, and you don't want to degrade and dehumanize him. But all those restrictions are off when it comes to hanging from a tree. He's not a brother, he's a worm. He's not deserving of humanity. He's to be degraded below the level of humanity, dehumanized. 
And that's why Jesus cries from the cross, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and disguised by the people and forsaken by God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the horror and the filth and the spit worthiness that Jesus entered. Bonhoeffer put it this way, God let himself be pushed out of the world onto the cross. You say, what's God doing to his son? No, what's God allowing to be done to himself? This is God taking on himself the crimes of his people, making them his own. As we said a couple of weeks ago, Jesus took two things on himself, our sin and then the punishment. And he's the only one of all people who has never done anything to deserve this. And has done everything to deserve the opposite, to deserve glory. And here he is, letting all of that come on himself in order to redeem us from it. Sin degrades, sin dehumanizes, sin destroys, sin devours. Never underestimate how terrible your own sin is, let alone the sins others have committed against you. What wreckage you and I have done, insulting, blaspheming God, and hurting others. And Jesus said, I'll become that. I'll become that. And the Bible says, remember, he became sin for us, and in here he became a curse for us. So even though we've wrapped the cross in so many layers of piety and cleanness and honor, we need to understand it's godlessness It's filth. It's horror. I know the cross is a place of glory because of the benefits that come out of it to all who believe in Jesus. Wow. But its actual meaning in both Israel and Rome is disgusting and offensive. And when Paul went out to preach the cross, the Jews and the Gentiles would plug their ears. It was a stumbling block to them. It was foolishness to them. Don't talk about such stuff. The Public Broadcasting Service, 1981, put out a documentary called The Christians. Not by any means a Christian documentary or a documentary produced by Christians, but they said Christianity is the only religion which has as its center God allowing himself to be degraded. The only religion which has as its center the degradation of its God is the way they put it. It's amazing. Not that they said this, but that God did this. The cross is powerful. And we can never plumb the depth of its depravity and shame. The depths of what Jesus did for us there and was willing to take upon himself. 
There at his trial before Pontius Pilate and in his public shaming on the road to Calvary and his hanging from the tree along a major highway without any clothes on. Remember, they put his clothes back on after mocking him, gets to the cross, they take it off and they divide his garments among themselves without any clothes on, spit upon, mocked. Cruelty struck his back, right Spurgeon, and pulled out the hair from his face. That's in Isaiah 50. Derision jeered at him and cast its spit on him. Shame and contempt were poured upon him, though he was God himself. And that spectacle of Christ spat upon and scourged represents what man virtually does to his God. I would say really does to his God what he would do to the Most High if he could. That's really what we think of God. What we did at the cross. Joseph Hart put it this way in his hymn. See how the patient Jesus stands, insulted in his lowest case. Sinners have bound the Almighty's hands and spit in their creator's face. But why? Let's look at the blessing. The curse, the blessing. But why would God do this? Why would he come into our midst and offer himself up as a worm, degraded, dehumanized, cursed, shame-filled? What kind of God would ever do that? Brothers and sisters, this is love, pure, divine, undeserved, indescribable, ineffable love. There was nothing in us that would make him want to do that. That made us worthy of that. That all comes from his own heart. From his own nature. For God is love. He's also justice. All sin must be punished. But great love. And that it pleased him to punish the sins of his people in someone else. As our substitute. Love. We have rejected God twice over. We rejected him in the garden. There Jesus was, the word of God. There he was, walking and talking with us. We had Jesus in the garden. And Satan, that despicable Satan, that life destroyer came along. And we said, oh, we like him. Oh, wouldn't life be better with him? Jesus, get out of my way. Get out of my life. You're withholding good from me. Get out. We forsook him. We rejected him. We despised him. We spit on him. And we went for Satan. Then we rejected Jesus a second time. The whole human race, Jew and Gentile, out the cross. We, because we rejected him in the garden, were put under the curse. But God, the great lover, came down to redeem those from the curse. He came. The Son of God came. And we did it all over again. Get out. Get out. We don't want you. We rejected him twice. But he died for you and me. He was cursed for you and me. He went the whole way for us. And he refused to be distracted from his mission to die on a cross. 
Remember, Peter said, no way, that can never happen to you. Out of my way, Satan. Satan tried to get him away from the cross. Just bow down to me for a minute, I'll give you all the kingdoms. Get away, Satan. His enemy said, if you're the son of God, come down. You can escape all this pain. Could have called 10,000 angels. He said, no way. He stayed. He stayed and paid the whole price for us. And he wasn't forced into it, accepted it willingly out of love as a free will offering to God for our sin. Brothers and sisters, if you are a sinner, and we are, and deserve God's anger, and we do. And if we're unworthy of heaven and of life itself, and we are unworthy, and if we're under the curse of hell, and we are by nature, what should you do? Come to the cross. Come to Jesus. Give him all your unworthiness all your spitting at God and accusing him of doing wrong, all your arrogance in the sight of God and God ignoring life and abusiveness toward others, trampling on other people, ignoring them so that you can have your own way and do your own thing. All your lust, bring it to the feet of Jesus and rest your unworthy life in his hands. Then you may know when you can see it on the cross, you can see it in the word of the cross in the Bible that he paid the whole price for you. He took the curse. He took the shame we deserve. He made it his own and you're free. You're blessed. He redeemed us from the curse, says Galatians 3.13. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is he who is hanged from a tree. And he gave us the blessing of Abraham, the Holy Spirit, to live the new life. Wow. This is the gospel. Not just to be known, but to be embraced and believed and clung to for dear life every day. And to help us deal with all the guilt and shame and feelings of shame in our lives. Because remember, brothers and sisters, that when God dealt with our sin and curse and shame of sin, he didn't just shove it aside or sweep it under the carpet. He really annihilated it in the person and work of his son, the body and soul of Jesus Christ. He truly absorbed it. It can't live anymore. It's not hiding out somewhere. It can't come back upon your head. It's gone. Gone. Nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Our sin is condemned in Jesus' flesh. Our shame is taken care of in Jesus' flesh. It's gone. 
Will you put your trust in him? Will you give your life to such a one? May the Holy Spirit remind us at the table this morning, the price has been paid. The curse has been carried. It's removed. You're free to live for your Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you for your great love in which you came in your Son. And you laid our sins on him. You laid our curse on him. And you, Lord Jesus, took that willingly and said, yes, Father, I have come to do your will. We praise you. And we ask that you, through your word and through the sacrament, would renew us in our trust and build up in us a greater intensity of clinging to the cross of Jesus, but also renew us in our love for you, for all that you've done for us and for one another, and that we together are bound by the blood of the Son. So bless us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.